0: Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan.
1: And Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution.
0: We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo.
1: Guests that help you think differently.
0: And nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You, authentic you. Today we welcome Sarah Elkins. Sarah is your guide to uncovering the right personal stories for the right audiences, so executives, leaders, public speakers, and job seekers can clearly and effectively demonstrate their character, their values, and their vision. She's a storyteller, a communication coach, an author, and professional musician. As a Gallup certified strengths finder coach, Sarah uses that tool and story sharing strategies. As the foundation of her work with teams improving communication to reduce tension and stress in the workplace bravo and welcome to tnt sarah
1: thank you for having me so excited for this so excited yeah we're just like raring to go the coal is in the locomotive we are on the tracks
0: <laughs> already leaving the station yeah there's so much we can talk about here and before we hit record we had a quick um catch up and and sarah shared with us a really inspiring Uh, rich conversation she'd just had with with a a podcast guest on her own show and we felt it was really aligned to our own stories and obviously Sarah's um, work that she does and so we thought we'll just pick up where we left where she left off and explore that a little bit more so we usually ask people to talk about you know what's their passion what's their obsession in a good way how did how did storytelling become your way but maybe a little bit on top of that we could also talk about this this title here which is how do the stories we tell and are told about us impact and influence our identity. So maybe share a bit how that relates to the work you're doing right now, but also how storytelling became such a key pivotal piece of of the transformational work you do with, with, with clients.
2: Sure. Um, I, I love that intro. Thank you for that. One of the things that I realized when I started hosting a podcast about three and a half years ago was that, When I would ask for a story, because it's your stories don't define you, how you tell them well, I would ask for a story and 90% of my guests couldn't think of one. Hmm. Um, I would ask for specific stories. Well, what was something from your childhood that you think had a big impact on who you think you are today? Um, And they couldn't think of one. Or what was a pivotal point in your career where you realized you were in the wrong place or that you realized you were in the right place? And they couldn't tell me a story about that. So that's why I wrote the book and why um, a lot of this has resonated for people for so many years now, three and a half years on my podcast. Um, But I became really passionate about it when I had one particular client who had MS and she, her profession had nothing to do with her MS, but she was doing some public speaking. And she said, I asked her why she wasn't talking about her disability, her illness. And she said, well, I don't want to be defined by that. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I don't want to be known as the woman with MS. I want to be known for what I contribute for the topics that I talk about. And I said, well, it's it's not the thing that happened to you that defines you, it's how you talk about it. And that was a big aha moment for me, just saying that out loud, that when we tell a story about ourselves, not only are we either confirming or, you um, contradicting something we think about ourselves, but we're also affecting how other people perceive us. So it, it is such an important concept, particularly for people who are in any kind of transition or transformation. They want to do something different than what they've been doing because they haven't found satisfaction in it in a long time. But they're still telling these stories about I'm not creative because when I was in fifth grade, I couldn't draw. Like my, my mom told me to stop drawing because I wasn't very good at it. Or my teacher told me not to sing out loud. Um, I had to hum during our event because I'm not a good singer. You know, those stories that people, and, and no matter what has happened, whatever evidence they have to prove to contradict that story that they tell from their childhood, they're still seeing themselves as not being creative or not being a singer or not being good at ABC. I'm not an athlete because I was terrible at team sports in high school. Okay, but you're running five kilometers twice a week. Mm -hmm. So there's a contradiction here. So I, I don't know if that answers your question but that's why I'm so passionate about it. I think it's really important for us to support ourselves and support others who are trying to transition and transform.
1: Um, I don't know how many weeks ago it has been, but recently I did an episode on imposter syndrome and the relationship between persisting self-doubt despite evidence otherwise. And that led us down a road of exploring things like roles that we assign ourselves. But I am, bl- insert blank, a mother, a woman, a daughter, a whatever, just... And then some of the roles are, I'm a victim, I'm a villain, I'm a hero, I'm a martyr. That power of storytelling can be so one uplifting (laughs) so it can challenge us into our transformation or it can really keep us from it. I would love to hear your thoughts on the transition, of mindset people may need to take to get from it's keeping me from to it's elevating me to. Well, you know, that brings in
2: the other aspect of my work, which is StrengthsFinder. So I'm a Gallup certified StrengthsFinder coach. And when I do work with clients, I really encourage them to take that assessment so that we can talk about why they think they're particularly good at something or why they think they're particularly bad at something. And to be able to tell the stories that demonstrate what they're really good at. So for instance, um, if if you have to tell somebody you're authentic, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> right? Touché. But you can right, but you can tell a story that generates that that impression that you are authentic. You can you can tell people I'm a team player, but everyone says that. So when you look at the the strength, I say your strengths are your stories, because when you can tell a story that demonstrate those strengths, you start to understand them better yourself. Because when you tell that story, you are further processing the information. You're further understanding and marinating in that knowledge of who you are and what you're good at.
0: Yeah, it's often the case when we're speaking to a client that they can be so Attached and hung up with a negative story and believe it wholeheartedly that it is the only truth that, that, that it really embodies them. And that same thinking is only just a small shift to the other side of the fence to believe the positive stories that you can tell about yourself. So it, I know the other thing that you do, or that one of your strengths, is communication coach. So I wanted to understand the difference or the, the symbiosis between the two. I mean, is it the, commun- the strengthening the communication that empowers the storytelling? or is it through storytelling that empowers the communication skills?
1: Classic. I would say, I go ahead. Classic, Re- classic chicken and the egg. <laughs> Which <one comes> first?
2: <laughs> exactly, um, I really do believe that when you have the right stories to tell, that it contributes to improved communication. Mm. Um, I, very few really good communicators um, don't share stories. When you think about it, the people who that you think of as great communicators that really can get a point across, I would say 99% of them get that point across through some version of a story. So really, when I talk about using storytelling as the foundation of my work, it's really about uncovering personal stories that you can use to um, set the tone of a conversation. One of the things I think people really underestimate is the power of storytelling in unlocking the stories of others. Mm. Even though we all know, we all know that that works because when somebody is telling us a story, what are we generally doing? We're thinking about about our own.
1: Thinking about my own story. Me too. Exactly. Oh my God! Not quite the same, but like this. Exactly. Exactly. So we know it
2: works, but most of the time, we're not necessarily doing it intentionally. So when I'm working with an executive who wants to connect more deeply or authentically with their people, um, whether that's the the maintenance staff in the building or their vice president, um, to be able to share a personal story, to find personal stories throughout your day that you can use for this purpose, and doing it with this intention of creating that relationship with the person that they feel compelled to then share their story. Mm -hmm. And now you've learned something about them and it's created a connection that is far different from telling them something about work, right? So for instance, um, Sunday was Mother's Day here in the US Mm -hmm. and I am not a Hallmark holiday person. I'm not into that stuff. I I mean, we do something special on Father's Day, Mother's Day, just because it's an opportunity. But I don't expect cards. I don't expect flowers. I'm not that person. However, this year was the first year I've celebrated Mother's Day where both of our boys are living out of the house. We are empty nested. I woke up Sunday morning and I could hear their sounds downstairs. Both boys were home downstairs in my kitchen. and I just laid there and listened to them. I had this wave of nostalgia from when they were children, when they were little. And all of a sudden I was like, they're in the house and I'm laying up here in bed. I gotta go spend time with them, right? So I jumped out of bed, I put on my clothes and I go downstairs and one of them made an espresso for me. And we sat and visited, then we went for a hike together. It was the best day. And I remember coming home to a fabulous brunch that my husband had made for the four of us. And then we all went our own ways. So
1: why do I tell that story? To connect. I mean, I've got teary eyed because I think about when my son will leave. And I'm like, oh God, no, <laughs> I'm going to be so untimed. <laughs> and then I was also like, there's the lesson, spend the time. <laughs> Remember to spend the time, stop worrying about it. Spend the time today. It's going to be okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And
2: so I've connected with you on that emotional level, mm-hmm. but Reese, what, what does that say about me? What does that story tell you about me that you might otherwise not have known?
0: Um, the whilst you said you weren't uh, into the cards and the and the hallmark stuff um that was maybe just a story you were telling us or yourself and that really the story you just related contradicted all that and it was all those lasaltic things it was all those um threads that went back to the you know the time they were born all that time and there and that itself created a, a new story and you just telling us this experience creates another story. And then you can look forward to a time in the future where you can relate this story and say, remember that time when you came and you know, I know I don't like cards and flowers and all that kind of stuff, but gosh, it really touched my heart. And, and you can share it and make people like Teresa <laughs> get <it here>. a <laughs> tear, Right, right. Connected to you.
2: <clears throat> exactly, exactly. And there are all these character um, identities that you've now associated with me, that I want to be associated with. I've influenced how you see me. So we can't control what other people think, but we can influence it. So if I want to be known as um, someone who is very compassionate and caring, and I want to be known as somebody who um, is really loving toward her family, Then I can tell that story, and you're absolutely going to have no doubt about that about my relationship with my
1: children, Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. (laughs) So that's why I got teary-eyed. My top five signature themes: empathy. Yes, empathy is in there. Empathy, achiever, maximizer, learner, relater. Those are my top five, (laughs) and my, so I use the EQI assessment when I'm working with people for emotional intelligence. And then of course, when I was a leader in the company I worked with, we use DISC as an assessment for people. And so one of the things that I wanted your opinion on and your sort of tips and practical advice around how do you navigate is sometimes people take assessments and like, Ooh, this is who I am. But what you're saying is like, it's not who you are. (laughs) It is, what is it? and how do we use assessments to help people navigate forward? Oh, I love that
2: question. Thank you for asking that because when I um, started down this path of self-employment, I have an MBA, I have a bachelor's degree in business, um, but I knew to get my foot in the door with state agencies, public sector agencies, which really need this kind of work. Mm -hmm. I worked in public sector for nearly 20 years I knew to get my foot in the door, I needed some sort of certification, some credential outside the MBA. And I looked at a variety of assessments and they were all okay. They're all accurate. DISC is incredibly accurate. The IOPT, accurate. Even the Enneagram can be extremely accurate. And then I looked at StrengthsFinder and I thought, well, I could see the application of StrengthsFinder more than I could see it in the others, but I didn't like assessments. For exactly the reason you just said, we tend to set these boundaries around who we are, these arbitrary labels on ourselves when we have these assessments and we dive too deeply into them.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So especially Myers-Briggs, how many of us have used that as an excuse? If we have the I in there, we use an excuse. Well, I'm not a public speaker because I'm an introvert, right? I'll never do that because I'm an introvert. Right. So that we set these arbitrary boundaries around these labels and this, they're self limiting. And worse is when a company sets this label for us. So I was always really hesitant around assessments. But once I got into the training, I realized the value of these assessments and where I find them incredibly valuable is to better understand how we can work as teams, even if we're generally an independent person who do we need to surround ourselves with in order to address some of our blind spots? Cause none of us are good at everything. Mm-hmm. And the more I read about StrengthsFinder, just the, the theory behind it, the reason it exists, it's the same as any other assessment, but it was right there in the book. Basically, when we think we have to do everything well, where we focus on our weaknesses in order to improve them, we are doing so much damage, first of all, to our confidence. If you are, if your natural inclination is not to be empathetic, and you are working so hard to be, to be that empathetic person, you are draining yourself every day and your confidence is in the toilet. And the second part is that um, you are not acknowledging that other people have this talent So where does that leave you in terms of working with other people? If you can't say, well, this really isn't in my wheelhouse, but it is in yours. Can we collaborate on this? Because I need some guidance when I'm dealing with this person who clearly also has empathy in their top strengths. Like we leave this no room for teamwork when we feel like we have to be all things. So that's, that's where that comes in for me. It's not about setting arbitrary limits about who we are or whether we're an introvert or an extrovert. It's about finding different ways to accomplish our goals or tasks. You know, if, if I give you an example, I was a compliance officer for a federal grant and I don't even like rules. This was, this was not a good role for me. <laughs> it was not a good role for me. My boss was one of those people with all the... Um, Executing domain strengths, responsibility, discipline, consistency. So um, I knew because I'm a people person and I influence, I use my command. I use my activator. I use my woo. Um, Because I like to influence people in order to accomplish goals and tasks, I immediately started picking up the phone to meet and get to know my subgrantees. So I created a robust access database to be able to track all the, the, data that I had to collect in order to write these reports and being compliant. But I made it really um, simple for myself because I'm a big picture thinker and I knew the details were going to get lost. Mm. So I immediately created these systems to be able to track wherever I could put in a drop down or a select item I would. So I wouldn't miss type things, losing track of those details. And then I started picking up the phone. Well, to my boss, this wasn't work. Right. All she saw was me talking to people where for her, it's, you know, typing on a computer, getting sucked into a spreadsheet. That was work to her.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when you think about it, I still accomplished the tasks I needed to accomplish, but I did it in a way that was really different from how she would have done it.
0: Mm. Well, for me, I'm not a fan of these assessments. I'm not a fan of the, um, the labelingness of it because whilst it can, um, people can allow it to define themselves, but it can also create a limitation. Like you said, it could be, or this is, this is who I am. This is only who I am. And this is how I'm going to show up. But for me, it's all about expanding those, uh, comfort zones, those horizons and, and, and chipping away and and not relying on strengths or whatever it might be. It's about building new things and developing those. Yes. In collaboration with other people, yes, through connection, but, um, you said at the start you said something about <clears throat> so two things you said uh, how stories we tell ourselves and we tell about other people impacts and influence so I'm wondering a how all this knowledge and wisdom that you gain how that impacts you when you're telling a story about another person or to <clears throat> and then also you alluded to the previous interview you had you talked about how the identity can be changed over time and I, I'd love to dig a bit deeper into that and how how that connects to you know the strength finder these are my five things and this is me today and maybe in five years time this will be totally different And that kind of evolution of your personality your identity your psyche how these things become mm, uh, specific characteristics of your um, through your storytelling how they can become uh, connecting but also, um, no, scratch that. (laughs) The sixth, the first question.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's, let's start with this idea that, um, we're really talking about two different things, personality characteristics versus strengths. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that, that's where it's different from Myers-Briggs. That's where DISC and, and, and StrengthsFinder are different from Myers-Briggs in that, um, It's a much more complicated assessment in terms of how your brain works. So um, the reason I, I like this tool, and again, if you just take the assessment and you read the information and that's as far as it goes, you've limited your opportunities to really dig into how your brain works and how to best accomplish a task getting from point A to point B based on how your brain works. So... For instance, I'll give an example. Um, I have strategic activator as my top two strengths. And when I read the description of strategic, I laughed out loud. I'm like, I'm not strategic. I don't even know what they're talking about. I could not see it in me at all. And oftentimes that happens with the top talent because we do it so naturally, so instinctively that we don't think of ourselves from as that person because we think, well, doesn't everybody do that because it's so instinctual. So, um, I was getting ready to go for a hike on the mountain behind my house. It was winter and I was putting on the tracks on the bottoms of my shoes. Cause it was slippery and icy and snowy up on the mountain. And before I even had these little things on my feet, which is less than a minute, I already had a route planned on the mountain. Like I knew, how I was going to go up, what the loop was that I was going to take that I wasn't going to go to the summit. I knew that um, I wanted to get my heart rate up at first, you know, to clear my head. Cause that's the only way I can clear my head is get your heart rate up. And then after about 10 minutes of good heart rate, then I could take it a little easy. I didn't want to go down the hill at a really steep place because my knees are bothering me. I knew generally where the dog was going to do his thing and where there was a nearby trash can. Like I, and this is all like that. I didn't even think about it. It just popped into my head. This is how my brain works. So when I sent the description of strategic to my sister who knows me best, I sent it without the word strategic on top because I didn't want the label. I just wanted her to read the description and I sent it to her without any indication of what I thought of this description just said, what do you think? Does this fit me? And she wrote back, holy shit. Yes. (laughs) And then she actually called me and told me three different stories of things that I had done with her or for her that were exactly fitting for that description. So what it helped me do is use that talent more intentionally. Oh, my gosh, I am really good at this. It didn't label me as a strategic thinker. It helped me understand what that meant. Oh, I actually do think strategically and really fast. So does that make sense? That That's where those stories come in is that they, they acknowledge what you're really good at. Now, most people look at the bottom of the list first. Nice. Oh my God, consistency is like number 34 on mine. And it explains so much about my inability to be consistent. <laughs> I don't have routines in my life. I have habits, but I don't really have routines. Somebody asked me the other day, well, What time of day do you go for your hike so I can go with you? I'm like, tomorrow could be eight, the next day could be two. I just, you know, (laughs) I rail against it. And understanding that about myself doesn't mean that I'm limiting myself, that I could never be consistent. What it means is that if I need to be consistent about something, I'm gonna use my strategic and activator to find a strategy that works for me to find consistency. Cause it doesn't come naturally, but the strategic and activator does.
1: Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Because for me, like when you said your woo influence, like, those are my bottom ones. Cause it, me, I'm just like, if they don't want to, I'm moving. Cause maximizer achiever is <laughs> like, look, if you're not coming, <laughs> see you later. I <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I ain't got time for this. <laughs> so for me to do that intentionally. And as a leader, some, you got to woo constantly. And I had to totally do the exact same thing. I had to pull up the relator and the empathy. And I had to like discretionarily use the other ones and put mm-hmm. those into action, which brings me to, um, while you were talking, I like quickly looked up because I could not remember the guy's name. Last year, I watched this video from dr jordan peterson and he talked about standard deviation in personality and when i watched it the way he described it i was like oh my god yes because people keep telling me now you're so competitive but they've been telling me that for my whole life and when i was younger i was like i'm not i'm like really not like you guys gotta and then i was like yeah i totally am super competitive do you have a problem with that so like i got really defensive (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then as an adult, I'm just like, whatever, like, who cares? What does it bother you if I am or if I'm not? Like, <laughs> well, that was that. your back to my- Yeah, I could turn it up. I could turn it down. What does it really matter? So I'd love for you to like pull this into the realm of how do we choose our personality characteristics? How do we decide we want them? We don't want them. We're going to use them. We're not going to use them. We're going to change them. I-, I love that because it brings together
2: Reese's question about how personality is influenced by strengths and stories and all of that stuff. Um, So one of the things I talked about in this last podcast episode that I recorded with Dr. Christian Jarrett was the idea that we can make incremental change to shift our personality characteristics. So we used, we, we tried to um, use a few different examples, but of course, introvert and extrovert is the most obvious one that if you, Identifies an introvert, which again, I don't like labels, which is part of why my work, why I'm so passionate about my work, because I believe people can change. And when you label somebody as competitive, you are putting them in this box when actually for you, it wasn't that you were competitive. It's a, you were a maximizer. It means that you, it wasn't against somebody else. It was because you wanted to, to absolutely make whatever you were doing extraordinary. Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with external forces. It was like, I'm going to do this. And if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to make it a 10. I'm going to use my spinal tap reference. I'm going to make it an 11.
1: Yeah. Right. That's
2: your maximizer. So what, um, what we're talking about in, in terms of how we can shape who we are is first of all, we think about the parts that we don't like that we'd like to change. So for instance, if, um, Somebody realizes that being an extreme introvert is not going to be good for their career. They realize that if they are always shy and not willing to take public risks or even small risks with strangers, it's going to affect their career. And they don't want to be stuck. They really have great ambition. Um, My friend Lisa Rangel, who is chameleon resumes, told this story that she knew that she had to step out. So it's not like she had to suddenly become all gregarious and dancing on the tables, right? She took small steps. So made a goal that um, every week she was going to reach out to somebody she knew on LinkedIn, basically knew, and ask them for a phone call. Now for an introvert, ouch, right? Yeah. (laughs) And in strengths language, if she um, is a relator and not a woo, That could be really hard and it could be really draining, but if she does it every day or every week and is consistent with this, she's taking that risk and guaranteed she's being rewarded with a phone call with somebody that's interesting. And every time she does it, she's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. And then she does it again. Oh, that wasn't so bad. Right. So you slowly, gradually, it's not like you're suddenly not an introvert, but you're finding the value in doing, in doing this exercise. And eventually you're actually feeding your relator. Mm-hmm. So re- relator is somebody who has to find meaning in relationships. Even if it's um, a bad relationship, they'll find meaning in it. But generally um, they, they have small groups of very close friends and they don't, woo is winning others over. So that means this is a person that can walk into a room of 50 people and walk out with 50 new friends. Where a relator would walk into a room of 50 people and walk out with two new friends, but they're gonna know these people really well and it's gonna be meaningful. So if Lisa decides that she's going to make this effort, step out of her comfort zone and make a phone call every week, then she is still feeding that relator. It's not like she's suddenly becoming a woo. She's still doing these one-to-one. She's not trying to to step into a group of 30 people. The the danger is when she continues to tell herself that story from when she was younger and she was so shy that when this group of girls came up to invite her to go swimming with them, she said no, because she was so shy. So she tells that story over and over again, despite the fact that she has all this evidence, oh, for the last... 14 weeks I talked to 14 strangers and had a blast with it right
0: yeah so let's talk about inception of the story is it ever possible that the story we're telling or repeating to ourselves is actually original originating from us or is it always Uh, an outside influence like Teresa she said in her true self she felt she wasn't competitive but everyone told her that she was and gradually over time she adopted that and she became that and she lived it and most people who know her now would agree she's pretty competitive but now this is just a persona that she has and that she has become comfortable in and that she has been successful with and, and grown with and it become part of her but really was the real Teresa, the not competitive person, that real thing right at the beginning before anything else had come in and told her and influenced her and impacted her. Like, how can we, can we ever get to that original inception story, our true self um, <clears throat> and how, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well,
2: there are two things here. One is, um, do we have to? If we're comfortable in that sweater that we're wearing that says competitive, then why does it matter whether it was originally who we were? Um, But the other part of that is we absolutely create those stories. When I tell a story about my childhood, my siblings and my mom would be like, that's not what happened. <laughs> oh my okay. god 100%. Yes. We absolutely create our own stories. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Um I just did this in in when I was talking to Christian. Um when I was a kid, I could not draw. I still I I have tried and my draw I can do calligraphy, my lettering is fantastic. But you ask me to draw a horse <laughs> and you're not going to even recognize what that animal is. I I don't draw. So my mom is a great artist. And so is her twin sister. Like they can draw watercolor. They, they can do a variety of creative things, artist things. So when I was in fifth grade, science fair comes around and I, I love dinosaurs. I'm just, I still to this day, totally fascinated with dinosaurs. And so I told my mom what I wanted to do this year, I'm going to do a demonstration. I'm going to put up, pictures and um, descriptions of four of my favorite dinosaurs, and then I'm going to sculpt each one out of clay so people can actually see it in three dimensions. And my mom's like, are you sure? I said, yeah, just buy me some clay and I'll take care of the rest. And she's like, well, maybe we could, you know, grow some seeds or something. I'm like, no, 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 I want to do this. I want to make these. And she tried so hard to dissuade me from doing this because I'm not an artist, right? Because I can't draw. So I finally convinced her I was persistent. She got me some clay and the first dinosaur I made was a triceratops because triceratops, Mm. my favorite dinosaur has (laughs) my name in it. So I made this triceratops and it's, you know, to to me as an adult now, I'm like, it was like this big, but I have no idea how big it was. And I will never forget my mom walking by and taking one glimpse at this triceratops that looked exactly like a triceratops with wrinkles around its legs. I mean, like my mom's like, wow, that's really good. She could not hide her surprise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I tell that story in the context of, I'm not an artist, right? That's because I'm not an artist. However, this is where it all came to fruition for me later on I joined the clay arts guild here in Helena and started throwing pots and actually had a rented studio for 13 years and I did all this clay work I love working with clay I love the mud I love mud it's a good thing I had two boys because man we got into a lot of mud over the years and um It was five years into this time, five years I had been throwing pots at the guild and and designing, putting different carvings in the walls and adding like butterflies and flowers and dinosaurs to the outside of my pots and firing them and giving them away as gifts and selling them. And uh, one of my friends had hired a medium to come and do palm readings at her birthday party. And this is four or five years into my time at the guild. And. I will never forget this. This woman's holding my hand and she says, what kind of artist are you? Yes. And I'm in my early thirties. Right. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not an artist. She said, oh, come on. No, seriously. What kind of artist are you? And I said, well, I used to sing. She said, no, <laughs> what do you do? What's your medium? What kind of artist are you? And I said, well, I, I, I'm a clay worker, I do clay work. I have a studio and I I throw pots on a wheel. And she's like, okay, so how are you not an artist, (laughs) right? So yeah, of course we tell our stories but we get to decide how to retell them. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We get to decide that story was wrong and I have all the evidence now to prove it. And I only said that I wasn't an artist because I can't draw. And art takes all kinds of forms. I only said I wasn't an athlete because I was terrible at team sports, but I hike a five mile mountain almost every day. If that's not athletic, I don't know what is, Yep. right? Does that answer both of your questions kind of in the same stories?
0: Sure.
1: Yeah, totally does. And I think it might also even be the hashtag, like not anymore, the, what do we stop doing? What do we start doing? What is the golden nugget? The one thing that's a lot. So I'm going to (laughs) paraphrase. When we think about choosing our story, what might be the first step that people can take so that they can start to do differently on their way to being different? Well, I'll start with Reese's word,
2: find the inception story. Mm. And there are lots of them, but find one that was pivotal in your head that you look back now and you're like, oh, that time my mom told me I wasn't an artist. You have to find the inception story first, because then you can actually develop context around it. So by, by finding that inception story that I wasn't an artist, I was able to understand, oh, wait a minute, she had a really narrow definition of what an artist was. But until I find that inception story, I I don't know why, why do I tell that story? And that that's, you have to develop the context around that inception story in order to retell it in a way with all the context
1: that explains why you carried it for so long and why it was false. Yeah, beautiful one. Thank you so much for that. That's just an awesome nugget of wisdom. So Sarah, everyone is gonna to wanna to like beep, boop, 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 dial you up and say, hey, how that can people yeah. <laughs> just like that, beep, boop, boop of my phone sounds <laughs> like <downplay. laughs> so? How can people get in touch with you um, to learn more about you, to work with you? What's the 411? Well, probably the simplest answer is
2: go to my website, elkinsconsulting.com. There are links to the book purchase. Um, The audio book is available directly on my website and I included two bonus tracks where my husband and our bass player friend and I recorded two songs in our living room in Montana midway through COVID and included them as bonus tracks in the audio book. The song Smile by Charlie Chaplin and Hang on Little Tomato by Pink Martini. So Mm -hmm. ElkinsConsulting.com. And then um, I have a podcast, your stories don't define you, how you tell them will on all of the, the standard podcast platforms, Apple, um, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, et cetera. Um, and really follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram. On Instagram, I am at Sarah S-A-R-A-H, Lynn, L-Y-N-N Elkins, Sarah Lynn Elkins, and uh find me on LinkedIn. And my, my hashtag on LinkedIn or my, my handle is the smile is free.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's so amazing. So I'm sorry, I just need you to tell me who the artist is to hang on little tomato. Pink Martini. Pink Martini. <laughs>
2: yep. I got the licensing and everything so that I could sell that them as bonus tracks. Obviously, I'm I don't sell this.
1: I'm totally just going to Google to listen to it because I'm like, that's a fantastic title of the song. It's got to be awesome. Maybe we'll listen it to is, it. It is. Well,
2: okay. So I'll give you a little a little hint about it. It, it sounds like it's written in the 40s, right. and uh, which is part of why I love it so much. And you don't know it's actually about a tomato until you hit certain lyrics hang on, hang on to the vine, stay on soon you'll be divine. That's the only lyric that you know, it's about a tomato. (laughs) Awesome.
1: (laughs) That is so amazing. (laughs) Okay, so we have all of the boxes checked except one, the rapid fire Q and A. Yeah, five questions, five rapid answers. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Number one, Which emotion catches you off guard most often? Sentimentality. That's a first. Number two, what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment?
2: Um, You know, I I don't necessarily. I'm so surprised by it that I kind of live in it. And I try to treasure it because I I don't get
1: there very often. Mm. Three, what's next in your personal evolution? continuing to
2: improve my listening.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm a talker. So I like it is, a, it's a thing that I've been working on for 20 years, just to be a better listener, better. And but be- I'm better than I was five years ago. and better than I was a week ago. But that's a constantly evolving challenge for me.
1: So when you're on this side of the microphone as a guest, excellent to just turn that up to 11. When you're the podcast host, talk about using your own incremental medicine of, I practice it every time because as a host, got to turn on the ears, got to listen well. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? You know, I don't, I
2: just hold them. I just sit next to them. Maybe offer them a glass of wine
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: white or, or chocolate. If they're not drinkers, I will offer them chocolate or homemade bread. Mm. mm, Yeah, yep. sometimes saying something is the last thing they need.
1: Yeah, you're here. And number five, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for?
2: Oh, I'd like to answer two of those. So I'm most looking forward to a road trip I'm taking with my boys next week, just the three of us. We're gonna spend a couple of days in the car, go to San Francisco to see my sister. And um, I just love road trips with my boys. And now that they're almost 20 and 22, it's especially important and meaningful because I don't know how many more I'm going to have alone with them. So that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm hopeful for, um, I have a keynote and workshop next week for the Montana Housing Conference. And I'm hopeful that The words I use, that I choose, and the topics that I talk about resonate so strongly with these people that it gives them some comfort, some strength, and something to laugh about.
1: Oh, man, if that's the intention, how can you not knock that out of the park? Thank you you so much for being here, Sarah. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better and to hear your stories. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for hosting me.
0: I think you know your intention there will absolutely be met. If if anything, this uh, fifty minutes is, is to proves you know your your comfort, your joy, your passion of sharing these stories. You know it, it it sucks us in, it enchants us, it wants us leaving. It leaves us wanting more. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me to have this one to one sort of uh, time with you here, and also to um, really understand more about the importance of of storytelling how it doesn't define us and that there's always opportunities to redefine what that story is, what it means to you and how it can impact other people and and influence others. So, And also, I can't believe we didn't even get around to talking about rocket to Uranus. I mean, maybe next time. (laughs) Check that out, people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've done your homework. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Congratulations. Well, I maybe we like, can you give us a little like, what is Rocket to Uranus? What is that? <laughs> uh, well, I discovered my voice at
2: 40 when I started singing with a rock band for the first time in my life. Yeah. And not just any rock band, but a 60s style rock band in go go boots and vintage mini dresses
0: <laughs> called
2: Rocket to Uranus. That was the name of the band. That is the name of the band. We are on a hiatus as we, you know, get through COVID. But um, we played for huge crowds, over a thousand people here in Helena at two events. Um, And we do songs like These Boots Are Made for Walking. That's why I bought the Go-Go Boots. (laughs) And we do a song. You're going to want to look this one up. The 13th Floor Elevators, which was a band in the 60s, like 16-year-old Texas boys that sang um, You're Going to Miss Me. And that's one of my all time favorite songs to sing. <laughs> There's a lot of screaming involved. So um, yeah, totally out of, when you talked about, Reese, when you were talking about stepping out of your comfort zone and doing something really completely opposite who you are, I can tell you getting out on that stage, as you said, Therese, at the very beginning, bouncing around and, and being you know, vibrant or whatever, um, I actually have done that. <laughs> and it is not something that I saw myself doing 10 years before no way so yeah people change
1: amazing
0: they'll be afraid to try on that different top that different vest to t- connect us back to that original thought you said at the beginning this is who I am this is my vest this is my uh my uniform or whatever my role and then you know <clears throat> get rid of the role and get rid of the rules and, and try something new
2: Mm. Teresa, will you say that one more time before we finish what you were talking about in terms of shame, because it also has to do
1: with identity. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is it was the, so great. Was I such know this great. is the worst for me. When someone asked me to repeat what I said before, I'm like, what did I say? before? <laughs> I have I wasn't listening to myself. <laughs> I was on my run today and I was thinking about shame and I was thinking about my shame story for example when I was born I didn't have it and then my mother presented me with something and said here you need to wear this and it was like a little shame tank top so like the competition yeah 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 well that wasn't it normally that she was okay with that actually she liked that one she liked (laughs) that as a trait uh, which she didn't like of course that I was tomboyish so it was like put on this dress oh Mm -hmm. and then it was like let's do your hair in ringlets and I was like I'm okay and then let's as I got older let's dye it blonde because it's starting to get dark and I was like um okay and you know you should wear some lipstick because that'll make you look prettier as a girl and I was like um I don't I don't like that one so for a lot of things I just kind of put it on and went this is a little bit itchy but I can (laughs) see what's happening is there's some recognition. There's some like, oh my goodness, you do look very pretty. And there's like love that's being given. If I do this, there's some love that comes with that. When I don't do it, there's other things that come with it that that don't feel as nice. And then eventually I had all of these like layers of clothing on that was really uncomfortable. And then I had a moment of, hang on a second. (laughs) I don't have to wear this if I don't want to. And I was 11 the very first time I went, I don't want to wear this anymore uh, and said it out loud. I was younger when I demonstrated I didn't want, like when I cut my own hair and went screw you in my head, but I didn't say it out loud. I just grabbed the scissors and cut it really short and well, (laughs) cut it in the front really short. I had a great mullet (laughs) in the back because I couldn't reach back there. But I was like, see, I can have short hair if I want to have short hair. Cut all my Barbie dolls hair short and boy, did I get a spank for all of that. But I remember I very clearly, I was 11 the first time I said out loud, that's not okay, and set a boundary. And I went, hmm, that was interesting. Turns out I don't need to actually wear that shirt or dress.
2: Mm. Powerful. Even in our 40s and 50s, we we're shedding those clothes. Powerful. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT.
0: Please share, subscribe, rate, and review.
1: And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com.
0: And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.